following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. So what are some of your favorite Easter traditions? This was, we were asking this earlier today. You know, what, 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 you know, like, for example, you know, like, what's like, this is Easter. And it's interesting because some families, you know, you got a lot of Easter traditions, but it's like, you know, you got, you got Christmas traditions, which are way up here, and then you got Easter traditions. It's kind of like, eh, you know, you know, wh- when did Easter get such a bad rap with the traditions? You know, you got the Easter bunny, you got some eggs, and that's it. You know, well, there's nothing. There's no songs. Well, there's some songs, but they don't play on the radio. You know, why is that? And it's interesting because, um, you know, I always think of the traditions I had when we were growing up, and I, you know, I remember my earliest memories, and what we loved to do was to dye Easter eggs. I know that's kind of fallen out of fashion. It's not as cool to do that anymore because, you know, like, they're eggs with dye on them. Who cares? But uh, when I was a kid, man, they were awesome. Anybody here still do that? Still dye some eggs? That's fun. Yeah, see, there we go. And so that's what we're talking about. That's fun. And, and I remember, you know, kind of as we got a little older, and, you know, I remember thinking when we didn't do it one year, you know, we didn't dye the eggs one year because all the kids were getting older, and it wasn't like it always used to be. Yeah, it wasn't like it was always, and that was sort of like, ah, oh, you know, there's a, there's a, you lose something. You feel a little kind of like something's missing, and, and this is kind of one of the challenges that we have in our life is that, is that, have you ever noticed how there's certain things you want to go back, and you want to, this, this is the way I am when I'm taking pictures, right? I always want to capture everything because then somehow, and my kids are always like, Dad, you look like a Japanese tourist. And I say, I know, but I want to capture this moment, right? And then I want to like hold on to it because I don't want it to let it slip away. And this is what it feels like sometimes as we go through life. Because as you go through life, you know, there's this, there's this side of it. You're like, it isn't the way it always used to be. But then there's a flip side to that where sometimes it's always the same. You know what I'm saying? Kind of the negative side of that. And we're caught in the middle of this. And my favorite musician of all time, his name is Rich Mullins, and he, he's with Jesus now. And I'm convinced that the Easter celebration he's participating in is pretty, pretty big. Um, I bet he's hammering his hammered dulcimer there. But in his, in his album called The World as Best as We Can Remember It, Volume 2, he opened with an interesting song. It's called Hello, Old Friends. And it, it has this lyric in it. It says, You know, I'm just here again to tell the same old story. But it's the story that bears repeating. And isn't it interesting that on Easter, we all gather together to hear the same old story. May I just proclaim once again, like my brother Rich, it bears repeating. And we're going to study this and see exactly what we mean by that. I'm going to put on the screen Matthew 28, verse 2. Because I want to zoom in on some of those those words that we looked at. And this is... This is the moment. See, it's interesting. We, we talk about always, but there's these moments along in the story that, that fill in what we experience. And there's this moment of victory where there was a violent earthquake, right? Boom, right? It was loud and it messed the world up. There was cracks in, in the rocks. And it says, For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. Now that's exactly what Matthew says, and that is a completely correct and proper telling of the story. But now I'm going to give you the Mark Hunsaker interpretation. Okay? Because here's my vision of it. I think he rolled that stone away, and when he sat on it, he said, Oh, yeah. Because this was the moment. This was the moment when victory had come. 
Because guys, no matter where you're at in your life, and you feel like, oh, we've lost some of the past. It's not always the same as it used to be. And then, and then when you deal with your present, you, know, you have the things that are always the same, that always irritate you and agitate you and frustrate you and hurt you. You may have coworkers or family members or friends that just, you know, well, you know. And, and, and there's this moment of victory where the, the angel rolled it back. And I have this feeling that the angel, you know, he, you know, I know that some of us grew up like with precious moments, angels and something, and they're little cute things. This dude looked like a Navy SEAL, Marine, Delta Force, Army Ranger kind of guy. And he's just like buff, and he just rolls it back and he sits on it. Like, hey, devil, yeah, victory. And at this moment, see, this is when the world was no longer the same. Take a look at verse 5. After the, after the human soldiers who were big buff Marine guys, all, after they all fell down, the angel said to the woman, to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. That's very interesting because you're sitting there wondering, it's not like the women didn't know he was crucified. It's not, you know, like, why is he telling them this? They were there. In fact, they were the one of the few ones that didn't leave. I always find it interesting in this story, the men are all off running around, hiding, and, doing, and it's the women, they're there, right? And we're going to find out a lot more about the women there, here in a minute. But see, what's interesting is that, is that He's telling them, stop being afraid. I'm not going to hurt you guys. He goes, he goes, you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Why does he say that? Because we need to keep saying it always. He was crucified. What does that mean? Of course, we all know he was nailed to the cross. But what is so critical, that we talked about this Friday night, man. Friday night was Good Friday, and we were all here, and everything, all the white was black, and the lights were off, and we were pondering our time at the cross. And at that moment and at that time, what happened was all of your sin, all of my sin, all of the brokenness, those agitations, those irritations, those frustrations were absorbed by Him, were taken by Him. See, if you ever think that, you're, that like sometimes God is punishing you, this is what we talked about, if you ever feel like God is punishing you, then you need to remember that He is crucified. Remember that always, because the reason He was crucified was to take the punishment. So there is no punishment. God doesn't punish you for your sins. He forgives them because of Jesus. But you're like, but Mark, the wrath of God's being poured out. Yeah, that's right. It was on him. All of it. All of it. And what did Jesus say on the cross when he was crucified? He said, it is not finished. It is finished. That means it was finished. When the Lord God Almighty, coming as a preacher man, the Son of Man, who is coming on clouds as he told the high priest, says it's finished. May I just tell you, it's finished. And that means he's not going to punish you. He's not going to punish me. He, we are free. We are set free from our sin. This is why the angel says, "Don't be, stop being afraid. Jesus was crucified. You're looking for him who was crucified. Yeah, that same one that took everything upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Take a look at verse 7. Because now this moment of victory becomes a moment of restoration. This is so interesting. He says, now, this is the angel talking. You go quickly and you tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee and there you will see him now I have told you. Now what's really interesting, it's very important. So depending on the evidence that we look at, 
these events either took place in 30 AD or the year 33. And the reason there's some confusion is because when Pope Gregory made the calendar, well, he wasn't very good at math. And so there's a little bit of that. But anyway, I can relate to that because I'm not either. But anyway, so there's some glitches in the, and we don't know exactly kind of based on some different things. But the bottom line is this. Whether it was 30 or 33, the cultural practice was the same. And here's the thing. If you were going to like write, a write down what happened and record what happened and you wanted to tell people and have credible witnesses in their culture, you would never have women be the first ones. You would never do that. Because their, their testimony wasn't even admitted into the courts of law of those days. And so here is this moment of restoration. It's like this little sneak preview of heaven on earth where he, the devil, excuse me, the angel, the devil would love it if he didn't have the, this happen, but the angel did have it happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, you go and tell them. Yes, you ladies, you go tell them. You go tell them that he is risen. Because they're off hiding, right? That's what happened. And so... This moment of restoration happens. They go and tell them. And if you look at verse 9, we'll put it up there. He says, suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. I mean, can you just see that moment? They're all kind of freaked out. And believe me, in the Greek text, the word is freaked out. And so they're, they're, they're kind of freaked out, and they're, they don't know what to do, and they're like, and they're going to start running to go tell the disciples, and then Jesus is standing there. And what did they do? They came to him, and they clasped his feet. Now, this is also very interesting because if you're in the year 30 or 33 A.D., what is so important is in their literature, if you were talking about a ghost or a phantom, in their culture, those creatures had no feet. So Matthew, the evangelist, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is going out of his way to remind us this is a physical, this is a dude standing there. This is a in-the-flesh, risen Lord Jesus. And he is alive fully. And so they clasped his feet and they held on tight. And may I just say to you, in your life, I know he's not here in the flesh, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but just grab a hold of his feet every day. May I just encourage you to do that? Because ironically, you'll grab his feet and then you'll realize a little bit later in the day he's had a hold of you the whole time. But when we grab and we reach out and we hold on tight, it gives us the ability to take one more step, one more day, one more part of always. And then they worshipped him because he's God. You're like, yeah, but Mark, but how can he be a man and God? It's just because he said so. I mean, we, if you want to like, stick around after service, I'll give you the, the, the whole theology of it. But let me just tell you, the point is this. God's plan all along, all along, was to save his children. To get the family back together. And I'm looking out here, and I know there's all kinds of families. And if, you're, if your family's anything like mine... It's a little bit shy of perfect. Anybody here have perfect family? Because I'd love to talk to you about that. I want to hear more about that. But if your family is like mine and it's not perfect and there's brokenness and there's relationships that you're like, oh, I, I remember when that wasn't that way and I wish we could restore that and repair that. See, that's what's going on in the story is that He wants that for you and for me. He came to give it to us. He became... God said, I don't want... You know, people will say, why doesn't God just... Get rid of all the evil in the world because the evil is in us. And so he had to take it upon himself and restore us so that he could bring us home and make a world free of the brokenness. Take a look at verse 10. Because this is the moment of mission. Jesus, Jesus himself now said to them, don't be afraid. Because they were still freaked out. We know this. And he says, go and tell my brothers. Part of the challenge you and I face in this life is that 
you know, we sometimes will have this faith deep in our heart. And we will struggle and we will, we will doubt, as we'll see they did as well, and we will think, oh, what? Well, how do I respond? What do I do? What's the now what? And go, and, go and tell your brothers and your sisters and your cousins and your uncles and the guy down at the end of the street and that one dude who always like throws the paper, whatever. Go and tell somebody. Now, it doesn't have to be like a street preacher unless you just, that, that's what comes over you, if that's cool. But a lot of times it's just like, go have a cup of coffee and be their friend. Be that physical Jesus with skin on in their presence by His power, by His Spirit. Because what's really interesting is right after this all happened, He later, within 40 days, He would ascend into heaven. And I was always like, why did you have to do that? Why couldn't you stay here? Because now He dwells in all of us. And this is His power given to you and to me. He says, go and tell my brothers. There they will see me. Look at verse 17. So they're up on the mountain now. The women have gone and told the brothers, and we know from the other Gospel writers that the brothers were... Yeah, no, he's not, he's not risen. Yes, he is. And then they're like, no, he's not. And then Jesus is like, sup, homies. That's a slight paraphrase. But you know, you know how that went. And so when they saw him now, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Isn't that interesting? You've got him standing right in front of them. They can reach out and grab him. Just remember like the story of Thomas. He's like, I wouldn't believe unless I stuck my hand right in the nail holes, right? And then Jesus is like, try me. Go, you know, knock yourself out. Come at me, bro. And then, again, a paraphrase. But you see, he did that. And, and yet there's still some who doubted. I had a friend I used to work with, and he goes, if they, if they could just give me a videotape, I might go for the videotape. I'm like, no, you wouldn't. You'd be like watching that Bigfoot videotape. You'd be analyzing it and saying, no, it's just a monkey suit. You know, all those kinds of things would come in. Those doubts would remain. Because at the end of the day, what causes doubt is not the fact that we don't have enough evidence. It's not the fact that the story isn't credible. It's not the fact that you know, any other scenario you want to put in there, the, the reason we doubt is because we get up every day and it's always the same. The car won't start. I, I dropped the keys. I was late for work. The coffee spilled. You know, these are the kinds of things. And then, oh, by the way, now my spouse said that again. And I'm about ready to knock his or her block off. Right? I mean, that's, that's what goes on. And then, you know, and there's that one bully at school and they're just, that's the reason we doubt, because we're like, God, if you're really there, when, where are you? So doubt is something that is actually, in my opinion, a healthy thing. It's that moment that we have to say, wait, do I actually believe this? And we're like that, that father in Mark chapter 9 who, who, told you, who asked Jesus, if you could help, this would be great. And Jesus was like, if I can. And he goes, why don't you have faith? And then the man responded the way I think we should respond. He goes, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. Cry out to the Lord. If you're sitting there going, Mark, I don't know. I don't buy all this man walking out of a tomb business. Ask him to help. When we face this story in face of the reality of our lives, if this story isn't real, then there is no meaning. But may I proclaim to you that it is real. Because those those women told the disciples who told people who told people who told people who told people who told you and me. And as we talk to each other today, we worship Him, even though sometimes we struggle. Now, verse 20. This is where everything kind of comes together for you and me. He says to the disciples, I am with you. How often? Always. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Our challenge, I think, with the doubt is really with this. 
Because what we sometimes feel like is we sometimes experience life that, oh my goodness, it doesn't feel that, that way. It feels like it's just always the same. It's just always the same. Now, here's the thing. Remember how we asked about Easter traditions? You know, like, yeah, you know, doing the eggs, doing whatever, and then maybe it does, we don't do them anymore. And then, and then we talked about how this, this is this story that bears repeating, right? We got to bring the tradition back. We got to come back to the cross. We got to come back to the empty tomb. And when we do, we hear these words. We hear these words. We hear them again. And how often do we need to hear them? Always. Because when those words hit your heart and they hit mine, they come in, they vibrate the eardrum, and one way or another it gets down in there, and we begin to ponder them and to consider them if they could be actually true, what happens is we have hope. We have the ability to face tomorrow. Like the old Easter hymn, we had to cut one of them, and I didn't want to, but because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, you can face tomorrow. And so you're, you're, in this, you're in this situation where you're like, but Jesus, but Jesus, He's like, I'm with you always. Even when I'm always. But what about always? And that is the power of God in your life and in mine. It is the moment of victory. You remember the time when the angel rolled back the stone and sat on it and said, oh, yeah. And Jesus completes that by saying it's not just a one-time thing. I am with you always. I invite you to join me as we pray for the Lord to root that in our hearts. Father, I pray right now that you would indeed help us believe and trust all the more your words of promise that you will be with us always. Indeed, we are to be about your business of making disciples and baptizing and teaching them and showing them everything that you have done and inviting people to participate in what you have done and how you would love our neighbors and how you would seek to bring restoration of this world through us. But Lord, this morning, please let those words, and certainly, surely, absolutely, I am with you always, let those just take root in our bones. We remember from Friday, you do not punish us for our sins. Yes, a father disciplines those whom he loves, but it's not punishment. You are not punishing us for our sins. You forgive us our sins. And Lord, help us remember, help us remember those, that truth in no matter what happens. And that not only are we forgiven our sins, but we are set free to hear Your words that You are with us always, no matter what. I pray that everyone when we leave here today would take those words with us and that every time we hear someone say always, it's always the same, say, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Jesus is with us always. And we can believe it because He promised. And it's in His mighty name that we pray all of this. Amen.